0: And welcome into the first ever episode of The Left Turn. I'm Jacob Blair and alongside me is Trevor Mater, And we're going to get you set with all of the racing action from over the weekend. But first off, Trevor, how's uh, your Labor Day going so far? It's
1: uh, going good. This is kind of the second show we tried last week. Um, Unfortunately, neither one of us were smart enough to to run the studio with the technical difficulties that were going on. So it's the first official show, but unofficially it's the second show. But I'm good. I'm ready to go. A good weekend of, of racing action. Uh, one of my favorite weekends of the year and good chance to take it in and i'm ready to talk about it it was throwback weekend at darlington raceway in darlington south
0: carolina a big weekend of racing and it we'll talk about sunday first the big one the southern 500 what you know a lot of people put in one of the four crown jewels of the nascar season so the southern 500 the brickyard 400 the coca-cola 600 and then the daytona 500 so uh, one everyone wants to win and it started off and it looked like it was going to be the kyle larson show
1: yeah, and I thought maybe we would see that coming into this. Uh, Kyle Larson loves to run the top side, no matter what track he's at, and, and Darlington, it might be the only track on the circuit where riding up as close to the wall as physically possible is the preferred line. And we saw that throughout the whole weekend. We saw his teammate Ross Chastain do it in the Xfinity race, and then he did it in, in the Cup race, and really just dominated the first two stages. And it looked like he was finally going to get that first win, but as has been the case with Kyle Larson many times throughout his career. He's had the fastest car and probably been the driver that deserves the most to win but wasn't able to get it done.
0: I think it was one point of the race, which the way the cautions fell and and were as fast as he was, I think there were seven cars in the lead lap at one point. And, you know, with all the ways you can get laps back, it ended up much higher than that by the end of the race because there were a lot of cautions at the end. But Kyle Larson, and and if you looked at his car, it was throwback weekend, so we'll get to a lot of those throwback paint uh, schemes a little bit later in the show. But uh, he was... I think Davey Allison's car might not have looked at it because he had to run his uh, colors for his sponsor, but uh, his car looked pretty sharp out there. And just he just looked like he was able to run a little bit closer to the wall. The car looked a little bit more stable and just dominated and was just way faster than everyone else those first two stages. And at the end of the race, his car was... It got really loose. Well, it was tight. Uh, At the beginning of runs is what he was saying all night long. And then it would get perfect for about the middle 40 laps of run and then would go loose. And I think what they did is they tried to take that tightness out of the beginning of the run at the end of the race as the, the runs got shorter and I just don't think they kept up with the racetrack and his car went away and, and wasn't able to beat Brad Keselowski on that last restart.
1: Yeah. He led 284 laps on the evening and, Ended up finishing third. Joey Logano was able to get the best of him in the waning laps as well. So just a, kind of another disappointing finish for Kyle Larson. It's kind of been the story of his career so far. I mean, how many races can you look at with this guy and say, well, he led the most laps or he had the car to beat, but he couldn't get it done. I mean, it's kind of become a, a recurring theme with him. And you got to think that this was a track that he felt really confident in. Um, he, he hasn't had a ton of success at Indy. He's ran well a couple times there and then you get to Richmond, he's won there, so you gotta think he's gonna go in before the end of the year, but who knows the way the season's gone. And
0: Penske has not really had the all out all out speed this year and I think it was Paul Wolf was was telling people that, you know, they don't think they could just win the race on speed, but if they did everything perfect and were there at the end of it, they could do something to get the win and on that last pit stop with about twenty five laps to go, the Keslowski crew just put together a better pit stop, then Larson's crew, and then Larson, he was out front all night long, so he had essentially clean air all night long, and that was the first time he'd really been put back in traffic, and I think that had some effect on his car as well. And Larson faded, and Brad Keselowski, they made the right adjustments, they got a good pit stop, and just he took the opportunity, led the last 24 laps, and ended up winning the race.
1: And Keselowski's win at Darlington is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One, it was the first time since 1975 that Penske had won there, which is crazy to think the drivers they've had that have had success on tracks like that. You think of Rusty Wallace, you think of Ryan Newman, you think of Kurt Busch, Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, that they hadn't won there yet. And really, up until two or three years ago, Keselowski hadn't had the best runs at Darlington. He had three straight years where he went 15th, 32nd, 17th. In 2015, he had the best car, but ended up getting passed by Carl Edwards late in the race and finished second. Finished ninth in 2016, finished 15th a lap down last year. But then, like you said, they didn't have the speed, but we saw a lot of teams kind of trying to outthink that 42 team, knowing they weren't going to be able to beat them on speed. We saw guys kind of maybe pitting out a cycle a little bit. Uh, At one point, there was, I believe, three cars on the lead lap because we saw teams trying to try different things because they knew they couldn't just outspeed the 42 and in the end kezoski they were able to to hit their marks when it mattered and he get he gets his first win of the year which is kind of crazy to think about.
0: And the, the first two stages it made it very simple. You could pretty much split it up. I think it was 100, 100, and then 167 were the three stage lengths. So you could, pick, you could split those first two stages up so there really wasn't a whole lot of strategy to be played. Then the last stage, there was a lot of strategy that could be played. I think you could try to do it on about three stops, or you could try to do it on four because there was a huge amount of tire fall-off at Darlington Old Surface. And I think it's about 10 or 11 years old, the surface is now, but it wears quickly out there and at Darlington and Larson was just so fast. You had some guys that were going to try to, you know, move, take the pit strategy and try to outrun them that way. And it had a green flag run type feel, but then there was that odd incident with Clint Boyer and Ryan Newman. That was Newman really odd. That kind of changed the whole flow of the race and, and really put it, uh, gave, that's what really gave Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano the opportunity to run up front
1: yeah going back to that entire incident um I'm still trying to put together what what happened i I was with some with some friends and family, so we the race was on in the background at this point and all I see is uh they come back from commercial and the 14 machine is totaled, and they show the replay and i did i i still can't tell you what ryan Newman was doing i don't I don't know i mean the car just stopped it was weird it was really weird. Well, it I,
0: it was during a pit sil- cycle, so I'm pretty sure he was coming to pit lane and Darlington. And that's was, what it looked like. Well, and it, Darlington is one of the hardest racetracks, and you know the announcers will always say this is one of the hardest racetracks to get on pit lane. But Darlington really is one of the most difficult to get onto pit lane because the the banking on the racetrack is only about two grooves. Under that, the apron you know goes on forever, so you have very little visual of where pit lane actually is. And I think I, I my assumption of what happened is ryan newman just kind of got lost with where pit lane was was trying to figure out what to do and just was slow on the track and then clint boyer he was talking about you're, you're weaving in and out of some of the slower traffic and you know the, the closing rates at that point too you've got guys on new tires guys on old tires just didn't quite judge the speed of ryan newman and you end up with with two junked race cars
1: yeah and clint boyer just has some really weird luck sometimes i mean am, am i the only one that thinks that
0: he gets there, – there's some some interesting things that happen to Clint Boyer, and I think that's the right guy for them to happen to because he always gives interesting interviews afterwards.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, his interview yesterday was uh, – it was really interesting, to say the least. And you look at Boyer's career runs at Darlington, 23rd, 9th, 15th, 37th, 32nd, 31st, 11th, 11th, 12th, 17th, 22nd, 40th, 36th. This is a guy that's been a championship contender. He's won races – He's never even been able to crack the top five, in, or top ten in Darlington, except for one time. That, what's that tell you about this track?
0: It's a tough place to race. And another interesting thing about this race is the the three drivers that have really been dominating the season. I don't know if this should be a concern for them moving forward, but the last several weeks, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr., and Kyle Busch, they've been running well, but they haven't really been too much of a factor up front. So you've got and some new winners. You is, got it,
1: is it maybe just kind of a thing, a, a case of them trying some different things? I mean, when you're Kyle Busch or Kevin Harvick or Martin Truex, you're locked into the chase. Um, chances are with the amount of playoff points and stuff that, that you've gathered, really all you got to do is is not – totally stink it up in the playoffs and you're probably gonna get to the championship for is this maybe just where we're seeing them maybe try some different things and see if something sticks when you go to a track maybe not so much at Darlington because there's not really any other tracks on the circuit like Darlington but you know okay you go to Bristol you try a couple different things maybe you can take some of that to Martinsville or, or Richmond down the road is that maybe what we're seeing
0: I, I would think so I, a lot of those guys that get locked into the playoffs pretty early will start doing some of that stuff I'm not a big fan of that when no. you've been dominating the season why why, why lose that momentum that you've built up all the way to that point to try some stuff? And you're really only trying to beat two other drivers at this point. If you're Kyle Busch, you're looking at Kevin Harvick and Martin Truex Jr., you're you guys are going back and forth if you're wanting to try something to try to find a little bit to run outrun those two guys you're already outrunning the rest of the field now you're just trying to outrun those two guys but racing is a is a heavily momentum sport you want to have good runs and you can carry that throughout the season we're starting to see that with chase elliott he wins at watkins and is now clicking off really solid finishes top five this week kurt bush you've got more contenders in this championship now
1: I don't think Aaron Jones is a championship contender, but, I mean, he's, you, he's got, been consistent. You've
0: got guys that can sneak in there and cause some problems, and it's hard to get that momentum back when you've not been winning races, not been necessarily running up front. It's just it's hard to get back there. Even if you dominated the first half of the season, it's really hard to get back there, and it's going to make the playoffs, I think, a lot more interesting than it looked going into the playoffs a few weeks ago.
1: And even talking about the playoffs, you know, I know we said with the playoff points those guys have accrued that, really they're probably in the championship for but then again you look at those tracks that are in that round of eight assuming they get there you've got martinsville that's always kind of a wild card we saw clint boyer win there earlier this year kyle bush runs really well there haven't seen truex have the best of runs there um brad keselowski always runs really well there danny hamlin runs really well there texas that's an interesting track you never know if jimmy johnson's still around he's ran well there keselowski harvick and then phoenix That's another one that Kevin Harvick's kind of owned, but then you throw in a guy like Kyle Larson or someone. So it's not guaranteed that all four of these guys are going to make the championship for So it is kind of interesting that they've just kind of laid back the last couple of weeks and haven't really been a factor to win. I mean, Kyle Busch tried at Bristol. You got to give him that. But, I mean, like this week at Darlington, there never really was a point in the race where you felt like one of those three guys was going to come up and take it from Larson. I kind of thought it was Larson, Keselowski, Hamlin and Chase Elliott were the four fastest cars throughout most of the night. Yeah,
0: and uh, Denny Hamlin finished, ended up not really being a factor at the end of the race yeah. either. And when we look at the current playoff standings with just one race before the playoffs, uh, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., they're way far away up in that top three, and they've got w- way more playoff points than everyone else. But where it gets interesting is there are 14 drivers that have already locked themselves into the playoffs. The two that haven't, Jimmy Johnson and Alex Bowman, it's a little bit weird going into the final race of the regular season and saying Jimmy Johnson is not locked into the playoffs.
1: He's pretty close to being locked in, though. Is he 87 he, above the— He he, he,
0: he can, can basically can control his own destiny. If he finishes well, Alex Bowman would have to jump him in points, and then someone like Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Ryan Newman, Paul Menard, or Daniel Suarez would have to end up winning a race— uh, yeah. So, I mean,
1: he's, he's technically, he's 19 points have Alex Bowman, but it would, it would take something crazy for, for him to not get in. And that is kind of weird. Just to, you're crazy to think about that. This is a Hendrick team that hasn't had a lot of speed across the board this year, with the exception of chase Elliott, you know, they've got two guys right there that are on the cut line. And then William Byron on the outside looking in, it's just kind of interesting, but we go to Indianapolis where Jimmy Johnson has ran really well. We've seen Hendrick run really well in the past. So maybe they can fight some speed there this weekend, but I don't know that any of these guys on the outside really scare me going into Indianapolis, but at the same time, it's kind of a wild card track. So we have guys that have won here before, Ryan Newman, Paul Menard, Casey Kane, those guys have all won there before. But I just I don't know if they have the speed to do it this year this weekend.
0: And we'll get to talking about Indianapolis a little bit later. And when we, but real quick when we talk about India, it is a little bit of a wild card track. You can get some fuel strategy. You can get some weird Tires. things to happen. So you never know. Uh, but it, again, it was a good Cup race from Darlington, and it, it wasn't necessarily. It was a very strategic, very, you know. You had to watch almost the whole race, and yeah, there was a lot of green flag racing, and you had Kyle Larson running up front, but a lot of strategies made this interesting at the end.
1: Yeah, it was a really interesting race, and Darlington is one of my, my favorites on the schedule for a, a multitude of reasons.
0: Yeah, so we'll continue our Darlington talk after we take a quick break, but we'll switch over to the Xfinity series as it was We're a we We're going to talk throwback? We're going to get there. Okay. We'll, we'll talk throwback after we uh, get only, through the Xfinity series. The only series. reason I'm here. <laughs> Uh, But we'll be right back here on The Left Turn. Welcome back into the left turn. I am Jacob Blair. Alongside me is Trevor Mater, And we just got done talking about the Bojangles Southern 500 at Darlington. And now we'll look to the Xfinity race at Darlington and another really good race. And this race was dominated by another 42 car, but a surprise driver in that getting an opportunity in that Chip Ganassi racing car in Ross Chastain.
1: Yeah, both races at Darlington this week, we saw a 42 car dominate and then Brad Keselowski pick up the win. So I, I saw a recurring theme there. Um, it was really cool to see Ross Chastain have the, the dominance that he did throughout the day. Um, I watched a, a little bit of qualifying. I was kind of flipping back and forth between that and some of the early morning college football games. And I happened to catch at the end when he won the poll, and it was just kind of neat to see all the guys come over and congratulate him. And I mean, because this is a guy that he's been around the sport a long time. He's never had the equipment or the teams to really put himself in that tier with, with a guy like a Brad Kozlowski or even like a Daniel Hemrick or a Christopher Bell. And it was really cool to see him get that opportunity. I think the whole situation with him and Chip Ganassi in itself is kind of interesting where it's kind of it's a three-ride deal to basically ensure that he makes it in the playoffs. And I was pulling for him so hard on Saturday, and I, I felt so bad for him after everything that went down with him and Kevin Harvick.
0: And that's what we'll get to next is the big talking point from the Xfinity race was the incident between Rosh Chastain and Kevin Harvick. Harvick and Chastain made contact uh, about midway through stage three. And I think Harvick did have the faster car at that point. we got to be able to get around someone. The two made contact. Uh, Chastain into the wall. Harvick, you know, into the wall as well. And then Chastain about halfway down the straightaway. Looked like he might have uh, made a left turn to retaliate it a little have, bit.
1: Might have been a little intentional. And then, uh,
0: later on, Kevin Harvick decided he wanted to stop in Chastain's pit box and act like his car did not want to run uh that was interesting seeing the onboard footage of that and him kind of pointing at his ignition switch going he's got nothing Uh, but the whole thing was just unfortunate for ross chastain
1: yeah it was um and that was towards the closing point of the race too wasn't it 35 40 laps to go somewhere in that ballpark and ross chastain had had the the premier car all day long had led a majority of the race had won i believe both stages if i remember correctly and it looked like he was going to punch his ticket into the playoff and I, I always pull for the underdogs, um, and I was really pulling for Ross Chastain to get that win. I thought it would be really cool. And looks like Harvick's car was kind of coming to life there more in that run. And, but what we saw this week was it was kind of tough to pass in turn two. And Ross Chastain, as we see, same as we saw Kyle Larson do throughout the whole Cup Series race, kept that 42 to the top side. And it looked like Kevin Harvick, you know, he coming up on a lap car. He was trying to use that lap car as a pick. And then he got incredibly loose, and when he did, all he had was a 42 to lean on, and it was just kind of an unfortunate deal.
0: Yeah, Kevin Harvick is always the guy that's going to be running the bottom of the racetrack. If there's someone down there; it's going to be Kevin Harvick. He was able to work, make his car work down there. But at, but at Darlington, you can get a huge run through the center of one and two, and then you got the point where you're going to get extremely tight off the corner. And then there was the the lap car in the way, and, and Ross Chastain had the opportunity to say, you know what, I'll, I'll back off, I'll give Harvick this spot, or, you know what, let's make it three wide for a second, let's get around the lap car and let's race for this off of turn two. But to do that, he had to pinch Harvick down off the exit. Harvick got loose, got into him, they both end up uh, wrecking. And then, it, it, like we said, it looked like Ross Chastain kind of turned down to, to make sure Harvick didn't run away with the lead there. It kind
1: of looked a little
0: you know, and, retaliatory. And it, it looked that way, and just, just for Chastain's, you know, here – it's possible he didn't. You know, when you hit the wall that hard, it can knock your rear end out. It can knock the toe out, and can and rip the steering wheel out of your hands. And, and there's some other things that may have happened. Uh, but overall, you know, it I does did look like he made a left hand turn there.
1: It kind of does. Uh, what did you think of Harvick's post race comments?
0: I was not a fan uh, of what Harvick had to say. To me, it was it was a racing incident. You know, Chastain of the opportunity. was was trying to race for the lead. He's he's out there. He's racing for a playoff spot. He's got something to race for, and this is where the, the debate between Cup drivers and Xfinity drivers really comes into effect, and really starts, you know, giving a reason why Cup guys shouldn't be in there. Is you know he he's fight and he's also trying to, to show what he can do. Trastan, mm-hmm. he's got ha- I got an opportunity in a in a top tier race car to show everyone what he can do out there on the racetrack and then harvick comes in there and says some stuff that you know he doesn't deserve to be in that car and just some other stuff and i was not too big of a fan for what harvick had to say
1: and I'm, i've defended kevin harvick a lot in years past over certain things he's done or certain things he said and i'm with you I've, i found it really hard to to defend what he said i mean because you look at what Roush chastain has done in some underfunded equipment i mean you know with the ride that he's been in in the Xfinity series to been able to post a couple of top fives in years past, he's got that team on the inside of the playoffs right now as it's, as it stands. And I, I just felt like that was kind of a very, for a guy that's been around the sport as long as, as he has and has the fan base that he has and the respect that he has. I mean, that was, that was kind of a, I didn't like it. Now, if it had been someone like Kyle Busch or even a Brad Keselowski, I would have or Joey Logano, I would have maybe expected it a little bit more. But, I mean, this isn't 25-year-old Kevin Harvick anymore in his second or third year in the Cup Series. This is a 42-year-old Kevin Harvick that's won championships. He's a Hall of Famer, at least in my opinion. I wouldn't see why he wouldn't be a Hall of Famer. Act like it.
0: Yeah, so Ross Chastain ended up finishing 25th for the race, so not where he wanted to finish, did end up leading, again, those 90 laps
1: uh, for the day. Really had one of the dominant cars. What I want to see is what he does this next week at Indy, and I guess Indy's a little bit of a wild card, but then you think of of Richmond. I mean, the short track, I want to see how, how that car can do at richmond
0: well and the good thing to see was uh chip ganassi did give uh ross a boost of confidence on twitter you know continued his support of him saying you know he liked what he saw and that that was probably good for ross to be able to see that and, and not get too down for what happened there
1: yeah so I, I think it'd be cool to see him bounce back but uh really i, mean, I almost forgot that brad keselowski won the race because he didn't have the fastest car all day and I'm not so sure. Another caution, and Cole Custer didn't have something for him. Yeah, so
0: Cole Custer finished second. Tyler Reddick finished third, and it was real quiet all day as well. Denny Hamlin, fourth. Elliot Sadler, fifth. Chase Elliott, sixth. Justin Allgaier seventh. Matt Tiff, ninth. Ty Dillon, tenth. And then Michael Annette rounded out the top ten. Uh, Daniel Hemrick, already locked in the playoffs, finished eleventh. And then when you look to the playoff standings. I think there's just two races for the Xfinity Series before they head on off to their playoffs, and it's Justin Algaire, Elliott Sadler, and Tyler Reddick that are locked into the playoffs via wins, and then a lot of other guys are there as well. And and one guy we've seen that, like, said, Ross Chastain currently sits 12th but has a a decent margin uh, over Michael Annette there in 13th to lock himself in, so as long as he can have those good runs, he should be in there. But the one guy that should make the playoffs but has just had a – really he's had rough him. season in the Xfinities here is another you know, terrible break for him and he's been jumping around to different cars he's driven the 98 car driven the 60 car driven the uh, 12 car it's it's Austin centric
1: yeah and you think back to a couple weeks ago mid-Ohio when he was driving the 22 car he had the car to beat all day until that final that final restart Justin Allgaier's crew maybe a little bit able to outthink that 22 team and comes up short on that one so it looks like he's gonna get in pretty comfortably but do you think maybe kind of the bouncing from ride to ride does kind of mess a little bit when you're in and out of different cars i know they're all fords they all run pretty much probably the same programs but maybe does that kind of hinder him a little bit you're with a
0: different crew chief you're with a different crew every time you hop into a different car i think that could be something that that might be hindering him a little bit you're gonna have different you know communication guys are gonna talk differently you know, on the same on different teams the same word could mean two different things uh you know spotter wise and it that that could be but some of the stuff that's happened to you know this and Ryan Truex just misjudged the exit of the yeah. corner and, and just got him and it's just stuff like that that's been happening to him and you know overall he's kept you know his head up and, and has kept digging so he should make the playoffs and when the playoffs hit it's it's really a whole new season
1: and I found his his interview, I guess it was mid-race when, when they talked to him. I found that one really interesting, too. I mean, you could tell how much it, it meant to him to have an opportunity to compete for a championship. I mean, because if you're in the playoff, your mindset, even if you're a guy like Austin Sidrick or Ross Chastain or Ryan Sieg or one of those guys, your mindset is to compete for the championship. You're not going into it thinking, oh, I'm going to get eliminated going into the round of eight. And I just thought it was kind of neat. To, we don't see that all the time. We don't see a guy get that really upset himself not other people not his crew himself i mean he could have he could have easily pointed the blame at ryan truex and probably been justified and he really didn't he handled it really well it was it was interesting how he handled it for sure and so again
0: brad keselowski ends up winning the xfinity race at darlington and one of the cooler things about Darlington, again, is it is throwback week. And so now it's we're going to have favorite. a little bit of fun. My favorite week. We're going to talk about our favorite paint schemes from the weekend. So to kick us off, Trevor, what was your favorite paint scheme from either the Xfinity or Cup Series?
1: Well, the Xfinity, um, I didn't get to watch all of the Xfinity race, so I kind of have to jog my memory a little bit. Um, I really like Tyler Reddick's throwback scheme with the old Milwaukee, old Milwaukee beer honoring Tim Richmond. It, Tim Richmond's always been a guy I've been kind of intrigued about and wish I would have got to see more of before his untimely passing also cole custer's was was really cool but i'm um, looking at the at the cup series i ranked my top three and i went with austin dylan's silver secret car third i guess that's fitting because it was a three car um that was a car that dale earnhardt ran in the 1995 all-star race they called it the silver secret because they didn't tell anybody about it no one knew about it until it rolled onto the track and it looked really sharp and then they kind of did the same thing with that car. I don't think they actually unleashed the paint scheme until like Thursday or Friday.
0: Yeah, they, they rolled it out of the hauler, and that's when uh, everyone got to saw it. I'm pretty sure some more people knew about what they were going to do when they when they, but they didn't. You know, a lot of guys are releasing their, you know, they either you know show the car, or they release a picture of the car or a video of the car before they get there. Well, Austin Dillon didn't do that. They you know released it at the racetrack.
1: And then I would say my second one is Kurt Busch's throwback. Because um, when I think back of when I really, really got into to being a NASCAR fan, I'm, you're talking 2001, 2002, that time frame. And I just remember Kurt Busch driving that 97 Rubbermaid car for Jack Roush Racing. And it seemed like no matter what the track was, he was always right there to win. And he always found a way to make somebody angry at the same time. And I thought they did a really good job of, of capturing that. And then my top one is also the one that won the fan vote. I gotta go with William Byron's Rainbow Warrior throwback to Jeff Gordon. He's a kid that that grew up a diehard Jeff Gordon fan and I remember having the Rainbow Warrior die-cast car and running around my house in my Jeff Gordon Rainbow Warrior helmet with my t-shirt watching the races. It just kind of they did that so well. I wish it could have had a better run than it did. And we've seen Gordon run that. I think he ran it in Bristol the year he retired. But I mean, I, that paint scheme never gets old. They can and, run it every year for and all William I William
0: Byron did was running well. Ended up uh, blowing a motor there late in the race. But that was also my favorite. And it's just that that paint scheme just pops out on the racetrack and so nice. And it's just. It was great to to see that back out there. Uh, two others I I kind of liked were Chase Elliott's number nine, and uh, I think it was his cousin had Casey. Yeah, Casey had passed away, so he was honor uh, at a young age and uh, was also a racer, and was uh, honoring him with his paint scheme. And then I really like Clint Boyer's. Yeah. Uh, it, it's really simple. It's one color, and then it's just got you know brushstroke style on it. But it's the you know going way back to Ned Jarrett's win. Uh, where if you think racing's boring now think about Ned Jarrett winning by 14 laps uh, back in the 60s so the but going back to the that race and it just looks really sharp out there and uh, it's really simple but it looks really good with the the horsepower on the hood and and again the brush stroke lettering on the sides uh, and then Xfinity wise I, I really like Cole Custers uh, I think that was the AJ Foyt but it's the eyes inside the double zeros
1: Yeah and I really like Denny Hamlin's too in the in the cup series that all oh, it was kind of a throwback to himself you know when he when he when he got his start at langley speedway in virginia um just a very simple you know purple car with chesterfield hitch and trailer on the side and the fedex logo across the front and it kind of matched his color scheme to begin with yeah
0: and that, that was one of the cool things about his paint scheme is that a lot of times you'll see you know, they'll, they'll go back to something, but then they use their sponsors for it or they use something for it But to actually be able to put, you know, the, the same sponsor that was on his, you know I think it was a mini stock uh, out there at Langley that he was throwing back to To actually be able to put the sponsor in the same location he had that sponsor on his, you know, first race car that That's pretty cool to be able to do that So I thought
1: all of them were cool, but real quick, two more that I thought were really cool Um, Ryan Blaney's kind of the throwback to his dad's car, um Dave Blaney's always been one of the guys I've been the most intrigued by that I watched growing up. because so I always feel like if he would have had the equipment and stuff in the rides that other guys have had, maybe he would have had more success. That was a cool paint scheme. And then I really liked – same with Steve Park. So I really like Joey Logano and, and his throwback to Steve Park. I thought that was kind of cool.
0: Yeah, and all of them look uh, really good out there. Yeah, there historic. wasn't a bad one. It's fun. And, and before we – quick before we go to break – what is one paint scheme you would like to, to see next year if we continue this throwback weekend?
1: Well, uh, since Rick Hendrick and William Byron hit it out of the park this year with the rainbow warriors, I would love, and I think they missed missed the opportunity on this one. I would love to see the Jurassic park car come back. Um, if you're not familiar with that car, it's the car that the Jeff Gordon ran, I believe at the 1997 all-star race. So at the time it was the Winston and that was kind of when they were in their prime and Ray Evernham and the engineers and stuff at Hendrick just kind of threw the book at that car. They took every gray area in the rule book that they could, and they didn't break the rules. They just stretched them, and that car was that car was dominant in the all-star race. And then NASCAR came back and said, okay, don't ever run that car again. But they never said anything about don't run that paint scheme again. So that's the one I would want to see is the Jeff Gordon Jurassic Park car from 1997. What about you
0: And we kind of talked about this one a little bit. I don't think we'll ever see it but at the Starlington race we've seen a lot of Dale Earnhardt throwbacks but the one we've yet to see is the the classic one the one everyone remembers that that black race mm-hmm. car and I, I think it'd be I think it's time that we could bring Austin Dillon and bring a three car that's nice and black out there and throw it back to Dale Earnhardt and his most memorable paint scheme.
1: Yeah. And I could, I could talk about these paint schemes all day long. I mean, I, I was kind of racking my brain on the way down here. I thought that one, um, it's tough. It's getting tougher now to remember which ones they've done and haven't done. Um, I was thinking my way down. here. I was like, man, I think it'd be cool to see Kyle Busch do like a Dale Jarrett, Bobby the Bonnie throwback. Well, they have, um, I always thought it'd be cool to see when they when Hendrick had the five car to do that Terry Labonte Kellogg throwback. Well, they don't have a five car anymore, so that probably would be out of it. But our throwback weekend is probably my favorite weekend in NASCAR, with the exception of the Daytona Five Hundred. It's it's probably my favorite because it's just kind of it's cool.
0: Well, and one thing is it is working. We saw the the stands absolutely packed last night. Is so that was a, a great thing for NASCAR to, to do something, and it, it's something that gets fans to the racetrack and one paint scheme. I think it's already been done, but it's just kind of it's some odd colors, but the uh, tied paint schemes from both uh, Daryl Waltrip and then Ricky Craven. I think we saw Matt Kenseth. I Matt Kenseth did
1: it last year, and then was it Matt Benedetto a couple years ago but or Jeffrey just, Earnhardt? It
0: looks so good out there for one race.
1: It does. It looks – I mean, like we could sit here all day and, and talk about them. I can't remember, was it this year or last year that – Ryan Reed did the, the Greg Biffle National Guard throwback. Was it maybe this year? I think it was this year. And, and that's that's a sharp-looking car. Um, I keep waiting for maybe Stuart Haas Racing to throw out a, a Tony Stewart throwback car, maybe. I mean, you can get creative with that. Um, one, I would really it's – a it's a pipe dream, but I really think would be cool is – I mean, Jimmy Johnson doesn't have a full-time sponsor for next year lined up anyways – why not for one race throw out one of his old Xfinity series cars, whether it's Excedrin or I guess Alltel? It wouldn't technically be Alltel anymore. But why not throw out one of those old cars and kind of, because that's what I that's when I was first introduced to Jimmy Johnson. So I think that'd be kind of cool, but that's that's a long shot.
0: Yeah, and we'll go ahead and take a quick break. And you know, it was a good weekend out there at the Southern 500 at Darlington, but. When we get back to the left turn, we'll talk about some left and right turns as IndyCar was out at Portland, and we'll talk about their return when we get back to the left turn. Welcome welcome back into the left turn. I am Jacob Blair. Alongside me is Trevor Mater, and we'll now talk about some left turns and some right turns as the IndyCar series was back at Portland. I think it's been about 11 years since they've been at Portland, and they head back to Portland in a crazy race. Before we get to how it finished, we'll get to how it started. It was about seven wide going into turn one. By the time we got to turn two, uh, things did not end well for several drivers.
1: Uh, no. Marco Andretti went for a, a little bit of a wild ride. Uh, James Hinchcliffe was also caught up in that, as was Ed Jones. And then, for the, if I live to be 100, I will never understand how Scott Dixon did not junk his car right there.
0: I'm pretty sure no one will ever figure out how he did I don't know didn't. that he knows. No one does. Uh, and, and so, with. What happened? They were about seven wide going into turn one back further in the field. And the way Portland almost has that they've reconfigured it a little bit since the last time Indy was there. And some of the, the way it looks is it's kind of got a Formula One type feel to it, where if you watch Formula One racing straightaways are very wide. And then they all kind of funnel down into a much skinnier racetrack the rest of the, the time. Portland had some things like that so it makes for great passing opportunities. We saw some really late dive bombs going into turn 1 throughout the race with guys like Alexander Rossi and Joseph Newgarden. But everyone got through turn 1. I think a couple three about three cars had to take the escape route and you know roll through some of the stuff they've got set up so it doesn't end up being an advantage. And you get to turn two, and that's where the mess took place as James Hinchcliffe and Zach Feech got together. Hinchcliffe goes around, and with any form of racing, when you go around in front of the field, it's going to collect a lot of cars, and it collected Graham Ray Hall, uh, Hinchcliffe, obviously. Scott Dixon was there. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais was part of it, but he was able to continue. And then the, the big one was Scott Dixon, where, like I said, Marco Andretti ended up. He actually... Got on top of James uh, Hinchcliffe and went, or I think it was, it was, Hinchcliffe, it was Hinchcliffe, yeah. was uh, Ray Hall was in there as well, and just a mess. And Scott Dixon, he's sitting in there. Ed Jones was also, that was the other one I was missing that was involved in that. But uh, Dixon is in the middle of this and somehow drives away from it. And, and I don't know how you couldn't see it, anything. It, it, the dust was unbelievable. The, you couldn't see anything through the cameras, and a lot of times the cameras can look through stuff better than your, your eyes can. You can't couldn't see anything with the cameras either, and Scott Dixon rolls away from this, and not only rolls away from it, ends up having a really good run, extending his championship lead, and you you just walk away from it you just have to clap your hands for Scott Dixon.
1: Yeah, this is after watching after watching that, I thought if he wins the championship, this is gonna be the one thing that he looks back on, and because there's always that championship moment somewhere, and a lot of times it's not necessarily winning the race it's a run that maybe you salvage something i mean if he even so much as brushes the front end of with one of his those cars how i mean how those indie cars are designed it's not like nascar where you can hit something and it normally just be okay i mean that probably would have ended his day we saw james Hinchcliffe. his day was over and it did cosmetically it didn't look terrible but with the suspension and stuff of it 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 was
0: well, if you saw scott dixon's nose it was just covered in tire marks. I mean, yeah. he hit things, and somehow it didn't break anything. The the front wing. I mean, you, I you can't know. not you can't hit something in an Indy car with your front wing and not have it break. He hit something. There were there's tire marks on the front end of that car. Yeah, and somehow and it, it didn't do anything, and he's able to roll on and end up running really well.
1: And as soon as I saw he was in, there, I thought, okay, well, this championship battle is probably it's probably not over now, but the pendulum has definitely swung in Alexander Rossi's favor. And then he had a good car that early half of the race and then kind of some strategy and some caution's kind of hurt him a little bit and put him behind the eight ball and who would have if you would have told me after lap 1 that Scott Dixon would actually gain points on Alexander Rossi yeah, I would not have believed you
0: well and Alexander Rossi did have the fastest car of the the race there was no doubt about that it was driving away Joseph Newgarden was there as well he had a really fast race car but with the way things worked there was a there was a caution that came out in the middle of a pit cycle and it really ruined Rossi's and New Garden's race. It put them way behind, and that's really what helped Dixon and then helped other guys like Takuma Sato. Uh, Sato ended up winning this race and had to really hold off a hard-charging Ryan Hunter race, so big congratulations to Takuma Sato, his first win since the Indy 500, but what started out as, as a crazy start to this race really turned into a, a major strategy race that benefited Scott Dixon and hurt Alexander Rossi.
1: Well, and you and I were, were texting back and forth during the race on Sunday, and we both kind of said, "Well, it's your typical IndyCar race. you don't really know who's going to win because it's going to come down to strategy. I mean, New Garden and Rossi had the fastest cars all day. Um, Sato was able it seemed like Hunter Race Car came to life later in the race. Um, Sato and his crew were, were able to, I think, obviously form out the best strategy, and then I was really
0: the, the crazy thing about it is it was actually Sato that made the call to go on the strategy they went on. Yeah. It wasn't his crew. It was Takuma basically just saying, I'm going to do this, and it ended up working.
1: And I was really impressed with Spencer Piggott right there, finishing in the fourth-place spot behind Sebastian Bourdais. He was contending with Bourdais a while for that final podium spot. and He's had some really good runs this year. and I, um, I, I think we, and this is his first full-time season in IndyCar, having run just 10 and 12 races in each of the last two years. I think maybe he's right on the doorstep of being able to get that win. He had a second at Iowa earlier this year. He finished sixth at Gateway. He's maybe a little bit better of an oval racer than he is a road racer, but he put on a really good showing in Portland yesterday.
0: And some other good runs for some guys that normally have good runs but struggled over the weekend. Sebastian Bourdais, in practice, junked his race car. He backed it into a tire barrier. His crew had to work relentlessly to get that car ready he ends up third Simon Pagino had just been off pace all weekend and he uh, fought back for a sixth place finish Charlie Kimball with a good run for Carlin it was good to see Carlin have a good run they had a uh, Max Chilton they they put him out front for a little bit with strategy he had to pit late and fell back but Charlie Kimball ended up seventh but points wise we came into Portland with four guys still having it not just a mathematical shot but a legitimate shot at the championship we leave portland and it's down to really just two guys as both joseph newgarden didn't quite do what he needed to do to to jump up there and then will power had the pole ended up with a gearbox issue on lap one which which cost him big time is i think he lost first gear uh, and then later ended up in the tire barrier
1: yeah there's some guys that you know that have been big names in indycar for a while but didn't have a, a great run This past weekend, you mentioned Will Power. Tony Cannon came home in 11th. I mean, nothing totally terrible, but not quite what you've expected from Tony Canaan in years past. Graham Ray Hall was also caught up in that accident early on, if I remember correctly. And then there were some guys that had some good runs. You mentioned Charlie Kibble. um, Pietro Fittipaldi comes home with the top 10. Jordan King ran up there for parts of the race and kind of fell back as the race wound down. And then Santino Ferrucci driving for Dale Coyne Racing he was running well. And then I I think it looked like to me, like that car just ran out of fuel. They, they kind of miscalculated their, their fuel strategy. And that brought out a caution that bunched everything back up with 25 laps to go. But, and that forced Chilton, Chilton then had to pit after that. And Chikuma Sato took over and was able to pick up the win. And it was cool to see Sato get the win.
0: Yeah. And it, Sato's so always a, a great interview in Victory Lane. He's always so happy. Yeah. Uh, and then when you look at the IndyCar points, is it's just now 29 points between Scott Dixon and Alexander Rossi, both Willpower and Joseph Newgarner, 87 back. So technically, they're still mathematically eligible because the final points race of the year for IndyCar is a double points race. So if it was a normal race, Alexander Rossi would kind of have a long shot at this championship. But with the way the point system works for IndyCar. This is really anyone's game between Dixon and Rossi heading into Sonoma.
1: Yeah, like like you said, 29 points through the normal system, you would think wow, he's really, you know, he's got to win and, and Dixon's got to finish at least 10th at least. But with the double points and the way it's lined up, if Alexander Rossi wins and Scott Dixon finishes third or worse, Rossi's your champion.
0: Yeah, cuz the IndyCar point system is very win heavy. It, it really Gives some bonus to if you win, we're going to give you more points, and that is yeah. What's and really been what's kept Alexander Rossi in this championship because he, he's finishing he's he's less consistent than Dixon. Dixon's the king of I didn't do well in practice, I didn't do well in qualifying, I don't have a fast car this weekend, and I finished third. Rossi is someone that when he's got a fast car, he's going to go win a race, and that's really what's got these
1: guys so tight in points. What's this if if Dixon holds on? What's this going to be his fifth championship? I know I can do the research right in front of me, but I'm feeling lazy. I wanna say it's his fifth. I know he won an 03, 08, 03, 08, 13, 15. it would be his fifth. So And he's just one of those guys that you kind of he's never he doesn't put on a lot of dominant performances. He just doesn't. That's but he's consistent.
0: Yeah, so the IndyCar season will wrap up at Sonoma in a few weeks so they're gonna have a weekend off this weekend and it'll be next week and they will wrap up their season we will have the full race preview on next week's show and we'll take a quick break and when we get back for the final segment of today's left turn episode we'll preview uh everything going on at the brick yard for this weekend you're listening to the left turn here on x106 welcome back into the left turn i'm jacob blair along with me is trevor Mater, and now we'll turn our attention to this upcoming weekend as both the monster energy cup series and the xfinity series will head to indianapolis motor speedway and the brickyard and preview that a little bit as we look to the final race before the playoffs with the monster energy cup series
1: yeah it's going to be interesting i've never been a huge fan of indy actually i've been really critical of Indy in years past i Think it's kind of a boring, overrated track for NASCAR standards. I think the Indy Five Hundred is one of the most exciting things in sports, but I've just never been that uh, that entertained by the Brickyard Four Hundred. So I really wish they would have kept the playoff in Richmond or the playoff, <coughs> excuse me, the regular season finale in Richmond. But they think Indy's more appealing; they can seat more people, and it'll look more empty on TV. So I don't that I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's
0: uh, interesting for the the Cup series to make that move to go to Indy to for the final race of the playoffs and it's Indy is inherently a one lane racetrack. There is nothing anyone can do to make Indy a multi groove racetrack. It's just the way Indy is. It's been that way for a hundred plus years. Uh so that makes it really hard for for these cup cars to really put on a on a great race for the fans, but Indy's one of those tracks that it can when it gets to a strategy race and that's where for the playoffs some of the, some guys like Daniel Suarez Ryan Newman they, they can use some strategy kind of it kind of works like a road course sometimes where you can you know work backwards and you know plan out your pit well, stops to, to end up with a surprise win
1: and I think we're gonna see some of those guys throw the book at things um, when you look at a guy like you mentioned Newman Suarez Ricky Stenhouse, Maybe even a guy like a Casey Kane, Paul Menard, who we saw him win in 2011 by doing that. Those guys, they've got they've got nothing to lose. They're already on the outside looking in. They can't point their way in. They got to just kind of throw the book at things, try something different. If it works, maybe you catch a break and you're in the playoff. If not, you weren't going to be there anyways. And
0: I I agree that you're going to have some guys like Ryan Newman and Suarez and and Paul Menard and and some guys back there really try to throw everything to work their themselves into the playoffs. But I, I think with the speed that Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, and Martin Trick Jr. are going to be able to, sp- to bring to a track like Indianapolis, are, are going, it's going to be more of those style of tracks that uh, those three have dominated at. It, it, you're going to be able to do a whole lot, and it's still not going to matter because the speed of those guys
1: is going to outweigh the strategy. Yeah, you're really going to have to outstrategize those guys, and I don't know that that happens.
0: And I think there was like one point uh, in the season before the last couple weeks, where other than the restrictor plate tracks and Martinsville and a rain out or a, a rain shortened race, Martin Truex, Kyle Busch, and Kevin Harvick had won every single race. But the three restrictor plate races and uh, Michigan and Martinsville.
1: Yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting. Um, you mentioned the strategy. You throw in tire wearers played a factor in Indy before. Um, the late race restarts do get kind of crazy. Uh, last year, Casey Kane was able to. I mean, Casey Kane probably wasn't going to make the playoffs without a win. He's able to get a win and gets in the playoffs. So you're going to see some interesting things happen. Um, one guy that I'm really kind of keeping an eye on, that's a wild card, that maybe his team throws some things at it, is William Byron. He won the Xfinity race in Indianapolis last year. They haven't had a lot of speed. This year, when they have had speed, they haven't had luck. Hendrick has had a lot of speed at Indy in years past. They've won a lot of races there. Maybe they throw the book at things and find themselves in the mix. It's a long shot, but he's kind of my wild
0: card for this week. And I think, you know, maybe for Jimmy Johnson, this can be a weekend to get him on the right track as well, heading into the playoffs again. He mathematically still can fall outside the playoffs, which is just weird when you talk about Jimmy Johnson, but a lot of weird stuff has to happen one of the guys outside has to move in uh, win the race and then Alex to, Bowman to take that one spot and then Alex Bowman has to jump him in points by which 19 is, which is, points yeah with 19 points so it's possible <clears throat> not likely uh, but this this could be a, a race that Jimmy Johnson could get some momentum heading into the playoffs
1: well and he's been really successful at Indianapolis you think right now the, the of the active drivers the guys that have had the most success are, are him And Kyle Busch in Indy. So this is maybe one that they're kind of licking their lips at. They don't want to be too aggressive here and find yourself in a scenario where you're on the outside looking in. But maybe they kind of try a couple different things and hope it works out.
0: And also, so that race will be Sunday at 1 p.m. on the NBC Sports Network. Also on Saturday will be the Xfinity Series. And this is one of the final races that will – Probably see some Cup guys in in some Xfinity cars because coming up here shortly, Cup guys will not be allowed into the playoffs at all, as it will be all Xfinity for the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and I've you know we talked about beforehand the entry list hasn't been released yet. That's the one bummer of doing this show on a Monday afternoon is sometimes sometimes they have it on Monday afternoon, sometimes it's Tuesday before it comes out, and this week it is not out yet. Kyle Bush has met his maximum of seven races so he will not be running this weekend that is for sure um Kyle Larson's only ran six races so but I would think he would want to run well but they're gonna have Ross Chastain in that 42 card for the next couple weeks Kevin Harvick's ran five races um I, I didn't get the chance to look at Brad Keselowski or Joey Logano but it's kind of interesting though those are gonna be the wild cards what cup guys show up and um run those races, whether it's a guy like a Brad Keselowski or Ryan Blaney. Brad Keselowski's only run five races this year in the Xfinity Series. So I it's tough to make a prediction for that because you don't know who's going to be there and who's not going to be there from the cup guys.
0: Yeah, I, I think regardless, though, Christopher Bell in that 20 car. Uh, the, the Gibbs cars have always been fast at, at Indy. I think Christopher Bell's going to have a really good shot to no matter even if – what cup cup guys end up there? Christopher Bell is a really good shot to end up with the win on Saturday.
1: And a, a guy that I'm kind of looking at that I, I'm not sure he's going to pick up the win because it just hasn't been the way his year has gone, but he's been consistent throughout most of the year is Cole Custer. Um, had a strong second-place run at Darlington last week. Um, he's finished second a handful of times this year. He always so You look at his last going back to Kentucky, 5th, ninth, ninth, 6th, 7th, 4th, 4th, 2nd. I mean, and before Daytona, he had came off 2nd, 5th, 3rd, 4th, 3rd. So he's been right there, kind of in contention, quietly in that top 5, top 8 range. Don't know that they're going to have the car to win on Saturday, but he's a guy I would keep an eye on.
0: Yeah, so the Lily Diabetes 250 will take place on Saturday at 2 p.m. on the NBC Sports Network in two races for the Xfinity Series before their playoff start. love next week at Las Vegas as they get ready to you know, work to their playoffs. But real quick, before we end our first show Are here, we going to
1: make a pick for the Brickyard?
0: We'll go ahead and make uh, our picks for the Brickyard. And I think it'll either you – know, I think Kyle Larson is someone to look out for. Hasn't got a win this season. Ran really well at Darlington. Indy's another track that kind of suits him a little bit. I know it's not those high side tracks. But again, it's going to be really hard to beat one of those uh, three guys at Harvick, Truex, and Bush.
1: I was going to go with Kyle Bush, but I want to be a little different. Um, and I'm going to go with a, a guy that hasn't had the best runs at Indy in a handful of starts and doesn't have a win this year. But he does have a win at Pocono in years past. and it, Pocono and Indy are different but similar. And um, plus he, he drives Roger Penske. And Roger Penske it means nothing more to Roger Penske than to win at Indy. And I don't know that they've done that yet. I don't. Has Penske won the Brickyard? I'm pretty sure they have not. Um, but I'm going to go with Ryan Blaney as kind of my my sleeper to give himself some momentum going into the playoffs. He's had some good runs this year, but it, things just haven't panned out his way. A win could carry him a long way in the playoffs. So
0: neither of us took one of the three drivers that will probably end up winning this race. Oh, it's going to be Kyle Busch. Uh, but... So, that, so real quick before we end our show, there, there's something else going on at the Brickyard this weekend that, that's pretty cool is uh, that Indianapolis Motor Speedway has built a little fifth-mile dirt track in turn number three, and uh, Wednesday and Thursday they're going to be uh, running what are called midget cars, uh, and they're, they're little dirt cars so similar to sprint cars, and uh, I think Ricky Stenhouse Christopher Bell and Kyle Larson are all entered 118 cars entered for this 15,000 to win uh, dirt race on the infield of the Brickyard Landon and Castle Landon Castle's entered. So it's really cool to see You know some of the the racing that a lot of these guys did before they got to NASCAR going to be put on a big stage out There at Indy.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be a really interesting thing. I'm JJ Yaley also participating in it uh, Logan who's has some success in the sprint cars. You saw him back in the truck race at Eldora just about won the thing um tracy hines a a former xfinity series driver way back in the day so there are some people in this lineup that have a a lot of dirt track experience and it's going to be really cool to see i believe it's going to air on um is it nbcsn on friday Friday
0: during nascar america i think that's what they're going to do to to air this but that's big for dirt racing and uh you know, midget racing itself is that's this is where a lot of it's where Christopher Bell, it's where Kyle Larson, it's that's where these guys made their name, and now to have this show up at Indy, where it's in the infield at Turn Number Three, it's really cool.
1: Yeah, another notable name, Chase Briscoe, who picked up the win at Eldora earlier this year in the Truck Series. Um, one that I'm really interested to see is McKenna. I'm gonna butcher this last name, but McKenna Haase from Des Moines, Iowa, a sprint a sprint car driver that's normally runs down at the Knoxville Raceway um Landed castle also in iowa guys so ricky stenhouse running this race as well so it'll be a really interesting one i might have to tivo it and catch it friday evening
0: yeah i don't want to get too far ahead of this but I, it probably will well most likely it's going to be the most exciting race of the weekend at the Brickyard. yeah if, if you've never watched dirt racing it's quite different than, than what you watch out there on the big track with nascar
1: yeah, it, it'll it'll be five times more exciting than the brickyard and there'll probably be more people there than there will be for the brickyard.
0: Yeah, and it's a uh, 15,000 to win show and that is a huge purse uh for those drivers to that that run normally and it also uh, the sanctioning body running this race is USAC and I think they said the entry list it's a record for them. So, yeah, just a big event out there on Wednesday and Thursday for uh, the yeah, Indianapolis Motor looking Speedway. looking,
1: in, this is the entry list as of what would have been the 30th, which would have been Thursday, and I believe I read 118 cars, so, and it's for a great cause, the, the Driven to Save Lives BC39, um, in memory of, of sprint car driver Brian Claussen who was tragically killed in a midget crash in Kansas back in 2016, and um, if you're not familiar with the story of Brian Clausen, it's a really unique story about how he's been able to touch other people even after he's been gone through, through organ donation and being able to save other people's lives. And The whole organ donation thing is, is just a really cool thing, and uh, I, I'm really excited to see this event, and it's, it's just so neat to not only see dirt track na- racing put in the national spotlight, but for a good cause.
0: So it was a great weekend out at Darlington and Portland. It's going to be another good one out there at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And that'll wrap up our first episode. We're about seven minutes late, which if you know racers, we we started late. But if you know racers, you know we're late to pretty much everything. So uh, no shock there. So thanks for tuning in to the first episode of The Left Turn. For Trevor Mater. I'm Jacob Blair. You've been listening to X106.